this morning, we get to talk about, I'm so privileged and honored and excited to talk about this subject because in this whole season of what we're calling Reset, which I love that in and of itself, just the getting back to the basics and keeping the main things the main things, I get to talk to you today about loving God with our whole heart through worship. It's something very near and dear to me, and as I have continued to learn and understand and walk in worship, it has literally transformed my life. And I don't mean from being a non-Christ follower to being a Christ follower. I mean being a bored Christ follower to a very, very alive, excited, in a loving relationship with a holy and great and personal God kind of Christian. That's what worship has done for me, and it's what he has in store for literally everyone. But I do think that worship, even in churches, ironically, is fairly misunderstood. And, and some of that is because we will interchangeably use the word worship a lot with our song sets. And, um, and it's kind of right because singing and praise is certainly a form of worship, kind of like running is a form of exercise. But running is certainly not the grand total of what exercise is, right? So that's what worship is. Worship is love. It's adoration. It's esteeming something. It's putting value into something. We'll trust what we worship. We will follow what we worship. Um, a lot of you guys know I have three daughters. Um, one's a teen and then 11-year-old twins. Pray for us. That's, that's, you can do that for me. But um, when our twins were born, it was very, very clear. Right when they started becoming about toddlers like real people, you know, right when they could form words and mimic actions, it was very, very clear who they worshipped, so to speak. And it wasn't me. And it wasn't Neil, it was Hannah. She was the ultimate three-year-old who clearly knew everything, right? And so I, I'll never forget when the twins were about five, you know, that sweet age where kids start asking all the why questions. They would come up to me and say, Mom, like, why do bad things happen? And I'd explain it. And then they'd like, Hannah, why do bad things happen? Like, I'm like, she's eight. What does she know? But to them, they literally worshiped the ground that she walked on. And when I say that, you know what I mean, don't you? When we say that someone worships the ground someone walks on, we mean you imitate that person. You, you want to do what they do. You admire them. And sure enough, you want their approval, don't you? And so this whole idea of worship really is just putting our value and patterning our life after someone that we trust. You know, very simply, that's what it is. In fact, in the Old Testament, um, the primary word used for worship was uh, it meant to bow. Literally, physically, the posture of bowing indicating, of course, submission. And, and so then in the New Testament, the, the bulk of the times that you will read the word worship, it actually means to bow but to kiss. In other words... It is intimate, you can touch it, it's relational, but it does not lose that order of submission. So a lot of times when you're reading the Bible and you read the word worship, it's actually very rarely directly referring to singing. Uh, you'll find that in the Bible when it refers to praise, sing, song, and all those kinds of things. But really, worship is 
obedience. It is a reverent life in submission to the other. And just so you know, we are all created and made with a heart that will worship. We're made to worship. And so we will worship something we all do. The question is not, are you a worshiper? The question is, and we could continue to kind of realign our lives by asking this question regularly. What am I worshiping? Who am I worshiping? What am I living for? And I think even the long-term Christian here can continually kind of, you know how a car will sort of veer off the road a little bit if you let go of it? That's the question we could always ask ourselves to kind of get back on path because when our worship is placed in the right place, which is Jesus Christ alone, that's when everything aligns. And we see it over and over and over again that we are not only made to worship, but the reason that he wants us to is because he's the one that has the best plans for our life. And if we can really trust that, then worship doesn't really become this kind of like robotic order, I must worship. God did not make robots. He chose not to, and certainly he could have but he chose humans with a free will, with emotions, with the ability to fear and trust things and hope in things. And so he wants us to worship, not like mindless robots, but he wants us to worship him because we have learned to trust him. And so we, uh, we remember probably, if you remember the story of David being picked out as the king, and it talks about how God didn't look at the appearances, but he looked at what? Do you remember? He looked at the heart. He doesn't look at appearances. He looks at the heart. And so even though he was kind of the last pick by human standards, David is the one that God anointed as king. But here's what I love. We tend to, in, in like Christendom, we tend to kind of hail King David as like the ultimate worshiper. And, and that's, that's, that's right on, except I think sometimes we do that because in our minds, Worship equals songs. David wrote a lot of songs. He had mad harp skills. Like he, he was a warrior. He was a king. So like he's the ultimate worshiper. But actually, if you want to just get really back to the basics, I read this several years ago and I always repeat it. Do, do you have that family member that just always wants to tell you the same stories? Like every time you get together, here we go with that story again. I'm like that person in your family that's always going to bring this up no matter what the sermon is about, Okay because it so impacted me. This is what God in his own words said, made David the man after his own heart. It's found in Acts, I got way ahead of myself, so I have no idea. It's found in Acts 13, 22. And it says, after removing Saul as king, David made, or God made David king and testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which means a constant daily pursuing. And then there's that little semicolon, which kind of means because. It's not the complete thought until you get past that semicolon. And then it says, he will do everything I want him to do. He chose David not because of his songwriting skills. He chose David because David was obedient. 
And, and maybe this is really freeing to those of you who don't really like to sing, and maybe this is a little scary for those of you who that's really the only way you like to connect with God. But the reality is this. There's no shortcuts. There's blood, sweat, and tears into this. We're not always going to understand everything he asks us to do, and that's what makes it faith, and that's what makes it trust. But he adores the one. He seeks the one who will do what he wants them to do. Not my will, Lord, but yours. And it becomes easier when we have a history of obeying him, even when we didn't have all the answers. I am living proof of that because he actually wants to show you that he's trustworthy. He's not just trying to use scare tactics. Hey, go give that person all the money you have, and we'll see, you know, if it pans out. That's not him. All right? He's not like a sick jokester, you know? If he asks us to do something that we don't understand, the benefits of having gone deeper with him and seeing him in a new light and his glory revealed in a new light is now in your spiritual bank of history. And suddenly you're going to have this confidence to say yes quicker the next time, even if you don't understand. And it won't take long and you're going to have a radical faith journey. And you won't fear talking to people about it because you know your story. I don't, I don't know all the scripture. I, I know there's a lot of you here that know scripture and understand it even better than I do. I have a love for the word. And I ask God to reveal it to me every day. And I put myself in that place to be in his word. But I don't, I don't know the word forward and back. But I'm learning to love it and walk in it. And that's what he wants for all of us. He just wants that next step from you. It's always been about relationship. And worship is our purpose. If there is anyone here today who's wondering really, really, really deep down what your purpose is, I love this because we all share the same purpose, and it is to worship the Father. Some will say it's to glorify God, and kind of that's true, but really that's more of a byproduct of the worship. Some will say it's to fulfill your individual calling, and we all have individual giftings and callings, but that's not really your purpose. You'll find that out when you worship. See, way back, this goes back from, you know, the garden. He wanted to be with us, and he wants to be with us in an intimate relationship, but he still needs to keep that that right order, that he is God, and I get to be a child of God. I am not here for him to follow me. I'm here for me to follow him, and that is where I'll find true life. And if I get that mixed up, there's going to be a weird tension. You know what I'm saying? It's frustrating when God doesn't follow your plan. Have you noticed? I know. I'm currently in a state of frustration myself, and I'm trying to convince him of certain things that I need, and maybe we'll get there, and maybe we won't. But I resubmit. This is a daily sacrifice. This is our daily living sacrifice of worship. You know what a living thing can do, don't you? A living sacrifice could crawl right off that altar, couldn't it? Living, it's active, it's alive, it's a present participle. It's the difference between make your bed and make good choices. Make is different than that. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. This is a daily thing. I could be a living sacrifice in this moment, and I could get in my car and kind of like just veer off and check out with God for the rest of the day. I could. And so this is not the kind of sacrifice that's being tied down and has no choice. It says, offer 
yourselves as a living sacrifice. Then he knows you want this, but we can't mix up who is God and who is the child. Um, One of the funniest things, and Neil, I'm curious if you remember this or not, but one of the funniest things about our oldest daughter, who's not here, so I'm going to share this story, is um, she, you know, as oldest children often are, she's got a little bit of a will, you know. When your parents give you the strong-willed child book for Christmas, you know, like, they're onto it too. But she has a strong will, which is great. She's going to be an awesome leader one day. But as a toddler, I mean, there were moments, you know what I'm saying? And um, she went through this phase, particularly when the twins came along. I think she was a little threatened that she was dethroned or something. But she went through this phase where she didn't want to be the child. She wanted to be the boss, you know? And so she also, she would watch the movie The Little Mermaid frequently. And so this quote came from The Little Mermaid, but then she used it as if it was her own. It was cute. She didn't know that I knew it came from the movie. It was funny. But I would tell her to do something that she didn't want to do, and she would look at me and she'd say, no, of course. And I'd say, you do that or whatever. You're going to the timeout. You do that or else, whatever. And she'd look at me and she would stomp her foot with cheeks out to here and she'd go, I'm not a child. And she was two. She was like two or three years old. And she'd go, I'm not a child. She's like this big stomping back up to her room. And I'm like, clearly you're not a child. Um, But I think sometimes we're like that with God. See, I want to have an intimate, alive, close relationship with my children. This parenting thing is way too hard for that not to pan out. So that's kind of my aim. Once we get through like the parenting, the discipline, I'm really in hopes that we're friends one day. I really am. Otherwise, it just wouldn't be nearly as worth it, right? But I'm always going to be their mom. There's that. And God wants intimacy with us, but he wants us to remember that he is the one that has the plan for our lives, and he wants us to trust that his plans for us are good, not to ultimately harm us. He even stated his purpose several times throughout the Bible. So I'm totally backed biblically when I say your purpose is to worship, and anything else you can think of will stem from that place. And by the way, worship, which is the word latrune, it means to serve, to obey, to minister, to bless. Sometimes that's through song. Although you know you can sing, and if your heart's not in it, it's not worship, is it? So there are times that we're singing and it's worship. There's times we're singing and it's not. And, you know, it's funny because we can kind of get it backward a little bit. I've heard people say, and I've said this myself, many times. But, but if you find yourself saying this, or you hear someone else saying this, then you can know that we, we kind of have it a little backwards. We forget who it is that gets the worship, who's the object of the worship. It's when we say things like, oh man, I loved worship today. Worship was right on. Man, I was feeling it. I was really feeling it. <laughs> anyway, um, or, or, or you might say like, man, I wasn't really feeling that today. It was a little loud. Kind of slow, a little drab, drony. You know what I mean? Like, we can say these things, and, and just by saying that, it indicates that we are like, whoa, backward on understanding who the worship is for. 
Our worship is for the Lord. It is unto the Lord. So we don't get to decide if it was good or not. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that would be, listen, I just, I want to paint this picture for you because this like analogy came to me years ago and I keep coming back to it because it helps me. Imagine going to a birthday party. All right, and you're going to a birthday party and you're surrounding the table because we're getting ready to eat the cake and there's the presents and everything. And we start singing happy birthday, okay? And imagine after the birthday song, turning to a friend and being like, wasn't really feeling that song. It's like, I mean, it's old. I've been singing it since I was little. You know, it's like, (laughs) imagine being like, that person was out of tune. I couldn't even concentrate. It was a little loud. They sang it so slow. I wasn't feeling it. I wasn't. You would never say that. That sounds ridiculous. That's why we're all laughing. And the reason you would never say it, even though there probably was someone off key, maybe it was too loud, is because you're well aware that that song, it wasn't for you. It was for the birthday girl. I'm going to say girl, okay? It was for the birthday girl. These songs aren't for you. And there are blessed, rich times that are a pure gift and nothing else when your feelings actually align with what's taking place and you sense God. Those are wonderful times that can't be taken away from you. But does it always happen? No. And you know what? I want to become a mature Christian that knows how to worship even when I'm not feeling it. Because you know what? When my kids came into my life, I had a decision to make, just as any parent in here does. Am I only going to love them and serve them as their parent when I'm feeling like it? Because I I just wonder, how skinny would our kids be if we only fed them when we feel like cooking? You know what I'm saying? We do this because this is a necessary part of serving them. We do it out of love, which is not a feeling. It's a choice. It's a lifestyle. And I want to kind of move on because there is a story in Scripture that just, it just just keeps coming back to me about worship and worship being more than a song. And it's the story that takes place in Acts. Um, i got to get to it. It's in Acts 16, and it's the story that many of you have maybe heard of. It's the story of Paul and Silas getting thrown into jail. Some of you might be familiar with that story. And, uh, and the reason I want to talk about that story is because a lot of times we will hear of it um, as if the whole story is all about them singing songs and hymns at midnight. And that is certainly a part of it. But the reason I want to talk about this story is because of all the ones I've read in the Bible about worship, this one kind of captures a lot of different varieties of expressed worship. And I want to talk about what happens and the why, and the intended purpose of worship, and all of those things. Again, this is our purpose. And when God freed his people, the Israelites, from their captors, the Egyptians, he literally told Moses to say to Pharaoh on God's behalf, let my people go so that they can worship me. Latrun, serve me except a very sad thing happened. They got freed. And God actually says, let my people go so that they can worship me in the wilderness. See, the intended place was always the promised land. If you know this story, 
It was always the promised land. But actually he states, uh, tell Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can worship me in the wilderness, not in the promised land. Do you find that weird? Do you know where our wilderness is? For those of us who are in Christ, and we are no longer in bondage and held captive to sin and the sting of death, we are not yet to our promised land. None of us here are because we're all still living on this earth. So guess where the wilderness is for us? Right here. And we need to pay attention to what happened way back then because you know history repeats itself and human patterns repeat themselves. And guess what they did? They were freed. They were God's chosen, beloved people, freed for one purpose, to worship God and let everything flow from that. That's where the blessing was going to come from. That's where they were going to get direction. That's where they're going to move on to their promised land, right? But what did they do? God let them take the plunder, the jewels, the earrings, and everything from the very people that held them captive. And then what do they do when they get in the wilderness? Didn't take much time. Few bad circumstances, little time removed from what it was really like to be in slavery, and they took the very gifts, the very gifts that God gave them, worshiped that instead. It seems horrible, doesn't it? It seems crazy. How on earth are you going to worship a gold cow? (laughs) But when I really think of that, I think, what are the things that fight for my heart? What are the things I tend to trust in more than him? What are the things that are actually steering my life? And guess when I really started getting honest and writing these things down, you know what they were? The gifts that he's given me. I'm just like them. And so are you. And that's why we see this example. We have to be careful. We get this one shot right here on earth. This is our wilderness. If you've lived long enough, you understand the parallel. Is this wilderness? There are some wonderful gifts. Yes, there are. A lot of it is just hard. Are you old enough yet? Do you agree? A lot of it is just like, whoa, hard. And it steals our affection for worshiping God. And God even says, worship me and serve me only. Serve and worship, interchangeable, always. And he says, serve me only. Here's the issue. Most of us who call ourselves Christians, we're not thinking that we're going to stop worshiping God or anything. We just want to worship other things a little bit too. And and God says that can't be. There can only be one master. You can serve me only. I'm a jealous God. And by the way, it's a really frustrated and stuck state of mind and heart whenever you're trying to serve multiple things. In all honesty, imagine a car and there's like multiple drivers. Like, where are you going to get? Not very far. And yet, it is so freeing when you know who you're living with. You know who you're living for. And everything stems from that. You no longer find yourself tripping all over yourself to have to explain or apologize why you're going to say no or why you're going to set that boundary or why you're going for this or why I know this doesn't make sense, but I'm doing it anyway. You no longer have to do that. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And one of my favorite quotes ever is, freedom is a blood type. It is not a personality type. 
It may express itself differently in your unique personality, but we were all set free to be free in Christ. And we will get where we need to go when we learn to worship, even without all of the answers. So let me get to it. Okay, let's go on to Acts 16, something or other. I'm not a numbers person, <laughs> sorry. Um, okay, okay, Paul and Silas in prison. I'm going to kind of paraphrase this story for those of you who don't know it. It's, uh, but it starts with Acts 16, 16, and the very first sentence here is, once when we were going to the place of prayer, this was written by Paul, who, by the way, multiple times refers to himself in his letters to the church as Paul, a servant of Christ. To get that. It starts by saying, once when we were going to the place of prayer, and then it goes on to talk about how they get interrupted. Think about this. They were going to the place of prayer. So their, their intended purpose was to what? Right, and, and yeah, worship God, okay? So this would be like us, if we were to write this today, once when I was heading to church, basically. It talks about how they're on the way to do that, and they get interrupted by um, a slave girl who was demon-possessed. It's a very weird story, if you ask me, but she's like following them around and howling things and, and saying, these men work for God, blah, 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 and, and it, was, it was distracting them, and Paul cast the demon out. And once he cast the demon out, this girl was no longer looked as a fortune teller, which is how her owners made their money. So then they get mad, and then they throw Paul and Silas into jail, but not before severely flogging them, which meant back then they were literally beaten to a bloody pulp, usually within an inch of their life. So these guys were like barely living in physical terms. So picture that. And then it goes on to verse 23 to say, After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet into the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to who? To God. And the other prisoners were listening, you bet they were, to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains fell off. How cool is that? The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors fly open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Remember, that jailer was only given one order, just one. You ever feel like you've just failed at the one thing God's asked you to do or the one thing people have asked you to do? The only thing I'm good at, and I can't even do that right. I imagine that's one of the things that was going through this guy's mind. So he was about to kill himself, and it says, But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. Then immediately he 
and all of his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house, set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole family. We could just like drop the mic or the Bible. That would be weird. Sorry. But right, I mean, that's such an awesome, awesome, awesome story. And there's so much I could say about it. But there's a few things that I want to point out that might get us to think of it a little differently and how this whole worshiping continually and serving him and obeying him can play out in our regular everyday lives. One of them is this. They were setting out to go and worship. That was the end, getting dressed, ready to go to church, going to go worship. All of a sudden, we get a flat tire on the way. You know, this is basically, they had an interruption. I don't know about you, but when I have interruptions, when I'm imagining going and doing something for the Lord, I tend to look at it as like a strike from the enemy, a distraction. I got to keep going. I think if I was Paul and saw, I may just just get away from her, just walk faster. We got to get to the house of prayer. We're not going to let this person distract us. And then they get thrown into jail, totally unjust. I know if it were me, I would also probably sing and pray. But deep down, it is for the purpose of God led me out of here. In other words, it appears, appearances, it appears to others like I'm worshiping. But the root of my worship is really so that God will do something for me. Ever done that before? You worship him, you're you're tithing, but there's an expectation here. You're going to take care of me materially, right? I'll forgive that person, but you're going to make this relationship work out, right? I'll I'll, I'll walk out of this church and plant a new one, but it's going to happen, right? I'll take care of this kid, but this kid's going to grow up to be a good one, right? We do these things, but deep down it's because we're expecting a certain outcome. And what God wants us to do is he wants us to worship him because the outcome is not the ultimate treasure. The ultimate treasure is him. Knowing that you have pleased him, no matter the outcome, and letting him be God and understanding that we don't know every single thing that's going on. Listen, there was a jailer in that prison who I don't know what was going on with him. We don't know a lot, but we do know he's just a jailer. I doubt he got a whole lot of satisfaction in life when you're just kind of working in a jail. You know, he was given one instruction, you know, keep these two guys from leaving. Okay, and it's like all of a sudden, can't even do that right. What God knew that Paul and Silas didn't, that we didn't know, is there is this guy in a jail. His identity is in the wrong place. He probably lacks joy. And he's very fragile toward suicide when you think about it. I assure you, the jailer probably didn't share that with anyone, especially not Paul and Silas, but God knew it. He saw that jailer. He knew what was going on with that jailer. And he had a couple of guys that set out to worship him. And God knew they would do it no matter the circumstance, no matter where they were. These guys will serve me. I'm going to use them. Because God goes after the one. He'll leave the 99. Paul, Silas, I know you think you're going to wreck the whole world with the gospel. We'll get to it. But 
we can do this interruption. You know that God created time, right? He's not bound by time the way that we feel we are. And sometimes my biggest reason for not obeying him is because I'm not going to have time if I do that, Lord. If I stop and talk to this person, this woman talks her ear off to me. I can't. I can't call her to see how she's doing. I have got things to do. If I'm being really honest with you with what my modern day, like, I'm not going to obey is, it's usually because I'm afraid it's going to take too much time. Then I won't get done all the things. You know what's so cool? If you have your Bible open, it is so cool to, after that story, just kind of start flipping, let your eyes kind of get a little lazy, and just start flipping and looking at the headings after that. You know what the heading is after this story? Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, Macedonia, Greece, Jerusalem. Do you think that that slowed them down from doing what God's purposes always were? We will never not fulfill his purpose for us by worshiping, by serving, by answering that nudge. Never, never, never. You may not understand how it will work, but you don't have to. I wonder how many other people God have, might have tried to use to minister to this jailer, but they weren't willing for one reason or another. He knew what he had with Paul and Silas. He had servants of the Lord who had set out to worship. And even though they didn't get where they were, thought they were going, and even though it didn't look like what they thought it was going to look like, they intended to worship, and you bet they did it. And look at the results. Sometimes when we worship, it is for someone else. I love this quote Tony Evans said a long time ago. It stuck with me. We are not an only child here. Uh, maybe you are an only child. My husband's an only child, but not in the family of God. We are never an only child, and God sees who he wants to affect, and we don't get to see all that. We get to trust and obey. For there's no other way, remember that song? To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. I, I want to give you a, a, a little practical story. I'm a very practical person. I don't know if that drives my husband crazy, but if things don't make practical sense, if I can't see how to implement it in my real life, it's a little bit lost on me, you know? Um, and so if there's any of you that are like that, I want to take this story and I want to show you what it can look like in just regular, just serious, regular, uh, you know, suburban life. Because something very, very similar happened to me um, a couple of years ago. It was around Christmas time. And I was at Target, and it was what has been proven to be historically the worst hour of the day to quickly run into Target. If you don't know this, I'll just tell you, don't go at 2 p.m. Because all the other mothers who have to pick up their children at 3.15 are also there to buy $300 worth of stuff, and they're going to try to do it in 10 minutes. So there you are, trying to be quick, and that's not a good time to go. But I did it. And I immediately got distracted, some of you are with me, by the dollar spot. Yeah? There's just something about that dollar spot. It's just like magical to me. I don't know. We were just there last night, hanging out, just staring at the dollar spot, weren't we, Whitney? My sister's here. She's awesome. I hope you'll meet her afterward. I digress. So we were at the doll. I was at the dollar spot a couple years ago, and and if you've been in, this is the Target right here on 59, right there by on the border. I'm at the dollar spot, and in my peripheral, you know, there's the popcorn. Um, 
weird combo of food, you know, popcorn, pizza, that kind of thing, and a few boots. And I could see it in my peripheral that there was a homeless guy, very, very clearly homeless, sitting there, and his head was down, and he was not dressed appropriately. It was freezing cold weather, and he had a lot of, like, bags, like old grocery bags tied up around. It was very obvious he was just kind of camping out there for the day, trying to find some shelter. And I am not the one who usually interacts with the homeless population. I let Neil do that. He's wonderful at it, and I just kind of sit there, you know? I don't do that. It makes me uncomfortable. Uh, what about safety? All these things. I don't know what to say. Okay, so, but I, I'm looking at the dollar spot. I can see this guy, and it just keeps nagging at me, and I kind of sense this nudging. I think it's from the Holy Spirit, but I'm easily talking myself out of it, of course, um, that I'm supposed to maybe go give him something, maybe, or I don't know. And so I'm thinking of food I can buy him, and then I'm like, what if he doesn't have tea? I don't know. I'm just like, I just, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't have cash. Who does, you know? But it's bugging me, and eventually I'm talking myself in. I'm talking myself out. Do I go? This is weird. It looks like he's sleeping. I don't want to interrupt him. You know what I mean? I'll get him food. I don't know what he can eat. I, you know, I, I, I don't have cash. What am I going to talk to him about? What if he talks to me too long? What if he asked me for more? I'm telling all this stuff to God. And then here was the mother excuse. I don't have time, actually, because I got to go pick up my kids. And they're my first priority, right? They're the kids you blessed me with, Lord. So you can go ahead and help this dude out with someone else, right? But of course, I'm walking through the aisles of Target, and it kind of just keeps, you know, nagging at me. And so I decide that I had figured out the perfect solution. I was going to get him a gift card to Target. I didn't have cash. I'll get him a gift card. That way I can just kind of slip it on my way out. And then if he wants to buy socks, he can buy socks. If he wants food, buy food. Like you can get whatever you want at Target, right? I'm not getting paid in sponsorship by them, just so you know. But I figure, okay, he can use this. This is how I'll do it. I'll do it just on my way out. Here you go. You know, be blessed. That's what I'll do. And so... I buy the gift card, and now, now I'm starting to feel excited. Like I'm feeling the Lord's pleasure here. I'm doing the right thing. And so I'm getting excited. I, I walk over with just a couple minutes to spare before I have to get out of that store. And I walk over, and he's not there. And I kind of wait, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. And I'm like, I don't really want to set this on the table if he's not here, because then, like, what if somebody else takes it? You know what I mean? And so I'm just like, I, I was geared up. I was ready. And so it was just like, well, what was that all about, Lord? What was that all about? And he didn't answer. And so I just decided, well, I guess I'll leave it. And so I left it and I walked away. And I'm like, I don't want to leave it. I mean, it's a gift card. You know, somebody else could use it maybe. So I take it and I, I go over to the place that sells the weird food, the popcorn, the Pizza Hut. <laughs> and I say, um to the guy that works there, do you know what happened to the guy that was sitting over there? He's like, oh, I don't know. I, he might have used the bathroom or something. And the, 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 guy, the employee looked weird when I asked. And I go, okay, well, this is going to sound weird. I got him this gift card. If you could just, I don't want to leave it on the table in case he doesn't come back or if somebody steals it, could you just give this to him? And that man grabbed the gift card, put his hand over my hand. 
I almost got through without crying, the whole thing. Put his hand over my hand. And he said, I thought you were going to ask me to kick him out. Everybody else has come up to me and asking me to do it. And he said, I was literally sitting here wondering if there's any love left in the world. And all of a sudden, I was like, this wasn't even for the homeless people. That wouldn't have crossed my mind if it was the last thing on earth. I never, ever, ever could have guessed that. By the way, this is a real story. Dude. Oh, yeah. That was him. He was so happy. And he said, I'll walk over to the table and I'll stay there till he comes back. He was so excited to be a part of it. We hugged each other. I was like, can I get a picture of you? I know that's weird, but I really just like, I want to remember this really, really happened. Because we get in a lot of trouble when we start presuming we know the why, the who it's for, the what the outcome has to be. We just obey. He'll take care of the glory. He'll take care of it. And so that's my target story. But you know, the, the reality is we have a tendency as humans to put worship in compartments. This is my time for worship. Then I got to go eat. I'm just a human who's hungry. You know what I mean? I, that, and that's, that's just normal. But we're constantly having to re-just grab that wheel and bring our hearts back to worship. And here's the good news. We don't have to do much. If the worship team could go ahead and come up here now, we're going to close out because... I don't want you to have the impression that it's all these things that we have to do. It is literally the faintest cry of the heart, the slightest turning toward to receive his abundance of love. And if we will stare at that for this long, it explodes and it pours out of us. And we didn't really have to do anything except turn back to him. He knows we're fragile. He knows we're made of dust. We're distracted human beings. But the truth of the matter is, all like sheep have gone astray. And we don't go astray typically because we're rebellious and say we're walking away from the Lord. It's usually we're like sheep whose heads are where? Our heads are down. I just got to run into Target. I just got to go to Wendy's and eat. I don't, I don't want to minister now. That was for church and my small group later. Right now I'm just at Wendy's to eat. All like sheep have gone astray, head down. All we have to do is look up and have a heart that will receive him. And then we pour that out. We can't help ourselves. If you find yourself having a hard time worshiping, and I, I'm there too. I get there too. Maybe you feel like his voice is not as clear as it once was. I don't feel him near me when I try to sing like I once did. Maybe the question to ask is, who am I worshiping? Let me take inventory of my life. Where, where is my trust right now? Where is my focus? Who am I looking at? What am I looking at? Where is my worship? And that might answer all the questions for you. 